Turn with me, please, to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew, if you would be so kind. Matthew chapter 8. Now, I'm not just pulling a sermon out of a hat. The Lord, the Lord's so been so faithful to us as a congregation and to me to be very specific in uh, really well, all the time he is. But, but I noticed uh, ever since the beginning of this year, he, he was just very specific. He's been very specific, Jenny, since we entered Hebron. Almost every single service. I maybe can count since January 1st on one hand the number of services where he hasn't given me a specific instruction of what to share. And he kind of left it up to me and I just kind of followed what seemed good in my heart, which is fine, praise God. But uh, that happened more frequently in the past. But since we started this Hebron season, he's been so specific uh, in the vast majority of cases as to telling me exactly what he wants me to share. And I believe that's because uh, he wants us more skillful and, and, and he wants the congregation to really uh, follow, uh, keep pace with him and to follow what, what he's trying to say to us. And so today, for, for this evening, it was, uh, it was the same. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it, it's, 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 for lack of a better title, put it up. We're going to continue part two from last week, but it's not really, uh, it, is, it is connected. So you'll see in a second why I'm calling it part two. But uh, it's, it's got another kind of an emphasis but for lack of a better way of saying it, we'll call it increase your calling and you'll increase your seeing. Now remember last week I shared with you some things. We heard some scriptures, remember, about calling and about calling things that be not. Do you remember that scripture where that's found? Let's see if anybody was, was remembering last week. Oh, Jesus, help me. Does anybody remember the scripture where it says, and he calleth things that be not as though they are? Taylor, your job is on the line tonight, brother. <laughs> Romans 4, you're not sure of the verse. It's number 17. Romans 4, 17. It'd be real good for you to start memorizing that since the Holy Ghost has said to increase your calling. It'd be good for you to know where that is in the Bible. Praise God. Hallelujah. Irvin Happy, did you know that, Pastor Happy? I didn't hear you call it out. I didn't hear you call it out. You're nodding that you knew it, but I don't know. Well, that's strike one. We'll see. Praise God. Now, now, now we're kind of continuing the same thing. What was that, Jennifer? Did you want to add something to my sermon? What was that? Lots. lots. You wanted to add lots. Okay. When he come down, now, now chapter 8 now, verse 1. Are you ready? Yes, Let's read together. And when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Did you notice that uh, Jesus, no reference to him touching him, but uh, what, what did he do? And Jesus saith unto him, See that thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded. That's when they took the two doves, the two birds, the two little birds, and they would kill one. Remember, I've taught you that on the blood covenant, and, and they'd release one in the open field. That's what the leper did in the Old Testament. So that's what he's talking about for a testimony done to them. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. Now, remember, that's illegal for Jesus to do. He's not allowed to go into a sinner's house. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come and send my roof. Now, most Romans saw the Jews as less than, less than Roman citizens. So for a Roman to say to a Jew, I'm not worthy 
that shows that he understood the Jewish law and, and elsewhere it says that he had actually built them a synagogue. So he loved the Jewish people and he understood that it was forbidden for a Jew to come because uh, the, the, a sinner was not, was not worthy for a Jew to enter. So he's repeating back to Jesus that he's, he's understanding the culture, he's understanding their law and he's being very submissive and very respectful. Okay, now just so that you know, a centurion was typically over 80 to 100 men. That, that, was, that was his responsibility. And uh, a centurion carried with him uh, what they called the vine staff. And it was a piece of wood about three feet long. It was, a, it was a staff, three feet long, more like a stick. It had a rounded top on it. And, uh, and he would use that to beat sluggish soldiers. If a sluggish soldier grabbed the staff while he was being beaten or broke, uh, grabbed the staff to stop the beating, he would be demoted. And if he broke the stick or reached back to hit the centurion, he would have been executed. It was punishable by death. So a centurion had a lot of authority and a lot of power within, uh, within the Roman army. Even though he was only over 100 men, those men, he, he really had life or and death over, there, over them. Do you understand? And what's more is that uh, Roman citizens were not permitted to be beaten just by anybody for any reason at any time. That's why Paul, when they beat him, he said, I'm a Roman member, and they were afraid because it was against the law. But did you know that the only, the only individual, even though a Roman citizen could not just be beaten at large by, before, for any number of reasons, a centurion had legal authority from the emperor to beat any Roman citizen with his vine staff that he deemed necessary. And, they, and even though they were Roman with the privilege of not being beaten or whipped or whatever, a Roman centurion had authority to beat any citizen that he wanted with that rod. If the citizen was not, was not doing the right thing or didn't get out of the way fast enough or he told them to do something and they didn't do it, he had authority to, to beat them with that staff even though they were Romans. So a centurion, I'm just trying to give you an understanding here, a centurion was somebody that even Roman citizens respected. Because he can beat you and you, you, he'll get away with it. You don't, you don't talk back to people like that. In other words, when somebody is an authority like that, uh, he understands the power when he tells you to do something. Even citizens, not just his army, but he, not just the men under him, even Roman citizens would do exactly what he said. He's a man that understands authority. Why? Because he's got something to back him up. He looks at Jesus, hears the stories, and says, wow, this man also has authority, and he's also got something to back him up. His is not a vine staff. His is the power of God. When he speaks, things happen. So this is the context of this Roman centurion. Chapter 8, verse, verse 7, it says, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. That was a very respectful thing for a Roman to say. But speak the word only. And my servant shall be healed. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. He could also say, I could say to the people at large, give them instructions they would have to obey as well. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Now that word great is the Greek word that means vast. It's a totally different context. If you looked at the ocean, Reverend Sandy, you, you may say, wow, that's great. That's a great ocean. But because of the expanse of it, the word would probably use is, look at the vastness of this. 
When you think of something great, it could be something tall or big, or it could be something of great value that you say, wow, that's great. But you don't often equate the word great with vast. When we use the word great, it doesn't usually mean vast. But the Greek word here is vast. It's translated great, but it's better translated vast. So vast is thy faith. What he's saying is, I have not seen faith with this vastness in the entire nation of Israel. Why was this centurion's faith so vast? Because the centurion understood the power and the authority of words. We could say he understood the power of calling. Because when he called for things to happen, they happened. And he had such confidence that he said, I don't even need you to come. I don't even need you to enter my house. I don't even need you to touch him with your hand. I understand the power of words. You Because I know the power of words, I live it. And the same as they obey me, that sickness will obey you. Same as they're afraid of my vine staff, there are those dead sicknesses afraid of you. Just say the word only and it will happen. And Jesus said, vast is your faith, like an ocean. All right, you're still with me? And uh, no, not in Israel, verse 11. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west, shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom, it's talking about Jews that are rejecting him, shall be cast out into the outer darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, as thou hast believed. Did you notice he said, As thou hast believed? Why did, how, but I thought he wasn't believing. He was talking about words. But he believed that when he said something to somebody, they obeyed. And he believed when Jesus spoke to the, to the, to the servant that he would be healed. What does Mark eleven twenty three 23 say? Say unto this mountain, be thou removed in Kansas, and don't doubt it. But believe in your heart that those things which you say will happen. And you'll have whatever you say. So this man believed in his heart that when Jesus spoke to that sickness, it would obey. And Jesus said, go and as you have believed. So it was a revelation of words and authority, but connected to faith because there was a, a believing in the words that are spoken. Are you with me? I know some of you thought you've heard this, but the Lord said specifically tonight for me to teach you on this. So please don't have an arrogant, uh, proud heart that you've heard this before because you're a faith person. I know some of the newer people or ones that watch, maybe they don't have that attitude because they're hungry. But those of you that are veterans, just open your heart because God can, the, the subject of faith is vast. Yes, sir. Okay, you might have only encountered the inlet. You might have got the inlet down pat. But there is a vastness of an ocean regarding faith. So just open your heart for God to give you a little bit more light this evening. Okay? And so, uh, and, and, and the servant was healed in the selfsame hour. And when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand. Now, the other, the other version of this and Mark says very clearly, and Jesus stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. This thing says he, he touched her hand, but we can take it in, he did touch her hand. Matthew's not saying about the words that he said, but in the other gospel, he touched her hand, but he stood over her and he rebuked it. Okay, do I need to read that to you or do you believe me that it's in there? You believe me, well that's a good start to tonight. <laughs> And he touched her hand and we could add and rebuked the fever because we're interpreting scripture with scripture and the fever left her and she arose and ministered unto them. And when the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils and he cast out the spirits 
with his and healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses a little side note Isaiah was prophesying to the world and to Israel well, the prophecy was fulfilled to the nation of Israel specifically in the bodily ministry of Jesus when he did this right here and he took people's sickness and he lifted it off them. To bear means to lift off and to take means to relieve of. Jesus, they were sick, they were demon possessed and in his earthly ministry walking around he would relieve them of their sickness. He would heal them and he would remove those demons and that was a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy to the nation of Israel in his bodily ministry. But to the world, which includes Israel, but to the world this is fulfilled on the cross. Because I wasn't there, Gary, when he went and he healed somebody that was sick. And you weren't there. He was only limited to the people that were physically in front of him. But he still fulfilled the prophecy that he took. Notice that this is not connected to his death here. This is connected to his earthly ministry when he had a healing service. So he fulfilled the prophecy by the healing service only to those people. It was only fulfilled to those people that were right there. But then God wants it to fill for everybody. So when he was on the cross, he didn't just take it by laying hands on people. He did a far greater thing on the cross. He took it by taking it on himself. He took that sickness. He took all that oppression, all that demonic thought, all that stuff. He took it on himself on the cross, not just for the few people that were in Israel, but for everybody on the planet and everybody that would ever be born. So this is fulfilled both at this moment in Matthew 8, but also when he went to the cross for all the planet. Are you with me? Amen. Now, when Jesus saw the great multitude about him, he gave, so he, see, he, he, he cast the devils out with his word. You see that? Doesn't say he laid hands on people, though he might have, but it just says he cast it out with his word and healed. So he could have healed them with the word too, or might have laid hands, we don't know. But we know specifically with demons, he was speaking to them. Okay. He saw the great multitude. He gave, verse 18, command to depart from the other, to the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Pastor Craig, I'll be with you forever. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes of holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. A lot of religious people have misquoted this and taken it out of context. Jesus had a house. It's references it in the Bible that he went to his house. So it wasn't that Jesus was poor. It wasn't that Jesus didn't have any possessions, but Jesus was traveling and he didn't have a jet because they hadn't made them yet. Do you understand? He is constantly traveling. He said, I've got to go to all the villages and preach. He couldn't go just a one day's journey and come back and sleep in his house. He had to go and he had to sleep on the ground. And he had to go and sleep on the ground or at the inn or wherever he could find. And many times it was probably just on the ground. Because he said, even the animals have a place to go home to, but I don't have a place to go. He didn't mean that he never had a place. Of course he had a place. But he couldn't go back every day. He was traveling. And they didn't always have hotels. If you can go to Israel now, you'll see there's not that many. I mean, it's sparse even today in certain places, let alone back then. So it wasn't that he was poor and broke. What he's saying is, this is all he's saying in the statement, there's a price to pay. There's a price to pay. In the middle of all of this teaching, the disciples, another guy, a young buck, comes up and says, oh, I like this message of faith. I like you casting out devils. I like all this stuff. I like it. I want to be a part of it. And all Jesus is saying is, are you ready to pay the price? Because I sometimes don't even have a bed to sleep in. Are you, are you sure you want to do this? See, anybody that's going to follow Jesus, 
anybody that's going to follow Jesus, you better, you better ask yourself, are you willing to pay a price? Because there is a price to pay in following Jesus. There is also great rewards and benefits in this life and the life to come. But Jesus was saying, there are times where it is not always that easy. There are times where it's not convenient. There are times where you're going to have to camp out. Are you willing to do that? So that's, that's a good thing. It's right in the middle of all this teaching, Jesus tells everybody there's a price to pay. Just remember that. And then we got another guy that comes up and uh, another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. And Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Meaning, let the ones that don't have the life of God in them worry about all that natural stuff. What was Jesus saying? In the middle of this teaching, this whole chapter is one big teaching Mm -hmm. by his life. Now he gives two examples. He says, are you willing to pay a price and don't be distracted? And these are the two things that rob people in the local church and in Christendom the most. A lot of people are not willing to pay the price. They want it easy. And sometimes faith has to do whatever it takes. Sometimes faith has to work three jobs. I've done it for many years. Sometimes faith has to go the extra mile. Sometimes faith has to be willing to be abased because you know the abounding's coming, but right now you're in a base season. Are you going to tuck tail and run because you can't be abased? Are you with me? Not, it's not all rosy uh, life in the bed of roses or whatever he said, fl- floating through flowery beds of ease. There is sometimes challenges. There are tests and trials. There's a price to pay. He had to sleep on the ground sometimes. He didn't always have the nice hamburger that he wanted. Are you, I'm just saying, he pauses us to say, are you willing to pay the price, Taylor? Because every Christian needs to make sure that they ask themselves that, am I willing to pay the price? Because there is a price. And then when the price comes, remember that you committed to God that you were going to pay the price. And the second thing that robs Christians, of they want everything easy. Everything easy. They're not everything is easy. Faith brings victory, but sometimes there's a test and a trial to push through. That's why it's called the fight of faith. And sometimes there's persecution. And sometimes there's people mocking you. And sometimes there's people stoning you. And sometimes you're lonely. There's a price to pay sometimes to follow Jesus. Not only is enough preaching about that, everybody wants an easy life. And God gives us great victory because of our faith. But don't you mistake and don't you forget that there is a price to pay. And you better have decided before the price shows up that you're going to pay it. Or you will fall away. And secondly, don't get distracted. There's a whole lot of other good things, important things. This person will be offended if I don't go, Pastor Craig. There's a lot of things that call for your attention. And Jesus is saying, I understand the importance of burial. Let them deal with it. You follow me, you focus and you follow me. Don't be distracted. Two things Christians need to hear. Pay the price and don't be distracted. Pay the price and don't be busy, 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 busy. Don't be so busy. Focus and don't be distracted and be willing to pay the price. Those nuggets are free. And when he, verse 23, entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. Of course, Mark has, a, I think, a better version of this story, but I'm reading it from Matthew, from Matthew for a reason. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? And Mark, he says, you don't have any faith. Matthew's a little kinder than Mark. He gave them a little bit. But Jesus said, you don't have any in Mark. Then he arose and what? Rebuked. It's the same Greek word as rebuking the fever of Peter, mother-in-law. mother-in-law. Rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? 
And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, Mark only lists one, exceedingly fierce, so that no man may pass that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come thither to torment us before the time? And there was a, a good way off from them, a herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, again, Mark 5 has, a, in my, ver, my opinion, a better version of this because it gives more details. But this is a more of a shorter summary. And he said unto them, go. And when they would come out, he said more than just go. But you'd have to read Mark to see all of the things he said. But at least it does reference that he said one word at least, go. And when they would come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told them everything. And what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. You'd think they'd say, come on in. Thanks for helping us. This guy, nobody, we've been afraid of him. He breaks fetters and chains. He's totally lost his mind. He's in the mountains and the tombs, cutting himself with stones and crying. And he's fierce. And if we buy this way, they could kill us. You've saved us. You've fixed this. Thank you. Come on in. But you see, people are afraid of, of power. They are. Especially if it messes up their economy. Because this messed up their economy. They lost their herd of swine because of the power. Okay, now, would you, would, you, would you look at this? Everybody loves Jesus until he messes with your money. <laughs> then all of a sudden, he's not very popular anymore. Don't matter that the guy's got free. You mess with our economy. And the church, uh, <laughs> when the church gets to messing with the government and messing with the economy, uh, they don't always like us. But when we're nice and sweet, everything's fine. But we're still going to have to do what Jesus says, whether they like us or not. Now, I want you to notice something here because the Lord said something to me, Jenny, which got this, this message sparked. He said, do you, do you know why I was rough on them, hard on them in the ship? Remember in the ship? Listen, Errol, I've been in, I've been in some storms, not in a little ship like them, a little boat like them, but I've been in places where there's been pretty big waves, uh, you know, and it's, it can get scary. <laughs> It can get scary, especially the smaller vessel you're in, the scarier it is. And their vessel is not very big. If you studied, we saw that, you weren't there, Lorraine, but, but Errol saw that, that ship, they, the size of ship that they thought Jesus was in in that storm. They have a recreation version of it. Next time you're going to get to see that, Lorraine. Praise God. <laughs> it's a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> anyway, so uh, listen, that, that, that is a pretty scary experience. When you're filling with water and you're sinking and the waves and the lightning, can you imagine the wind and the rain and the thunder and the lightning? And you feel, and these are seasoned, hardened fishermen. This is their job to be on the water. When a fisherman is scared, the rest of us have already run away long time before. Okay, because fishermen don't get scared that easily. And the fishermen are afraid for their life. So it shows you how bad the storm is. Now, the Lord said to me, do you want to know why I was so hard on them in the boat? Because he was hard on them. He rebuked them. And he said, where, where, Mark says, you got no faith. Mark, at least Matthew gave him a little bit. Where, you got little faith. Why are you afraid? What's wrong with you? Jesus was hard on them. Yeah. And he asked me, that's what started this whole thing. He said, do, would you like to know why I was so hard on them in the boat? And I said, yes, sir, I would. If he asks you that, whether you think you know the answer or not, just say, yes, sir, I would. Okay? Because he's asking for me to invite him to give me an answer. He's not asking me for me to show him how smart I am. 
He's asking me for, and it's a rhetorical question from that perspective. He's not asking me to really tell him. He's asking me because he's waiting for me to say, Lord, teach me. And so what he started to show me, which I've never really looked at this chapter that way. He said to me, he said, chapter eight and nine, that's what he said to me. You take it or leave it. I don't really care if you believe it or not. I'm telling you the truth. He said to me, chapter eight and nine were lessons. Chapter eight and nine were lessons. And he said, if you study it, son, there's six lessons in each chapter. They were lessons to lead up to chapter 10. Now, don't turn to chapter 10. No, just, just stay with me a second because I want to take you through it. They were lessons. The first one, which I've just read the whole chapter. I'm not going to read all of chapter 9, but I just read you all of chapter 8. The first lesson we see in chapter 8 is the leper comes. I don't know if it's your will or not, but if you want to, you'll do it. And he says, I want to. So he's telling us it's his will. And then what does he do? He speaks. Be clean. Didn't say laid hands on him. He could have, but he speaks. Then we go to the second lesson, and the centurion comes and says, I need your help. I just read you the story. And what does he do? He says, he speaks. The centurion says, listen, your words are so powerful. You just say it, my servant. He said, you've got vast faith, and he speaks, and a servant's healed. The third thing, Peter's mother-in-law is there, and she's sick. And if you interpret scripture with scripture with the other one, he takes her hand, he stands over her, takes her hand, and rebukes the fever, and the fever leaves her. He spoke. Now, he has dealt with a leper. He has dealt with a sinner's servant, an outside the covenant of promise servant. He has dealt now with a fever. And then at even time, he has a massive healing crusade outside Peter's house, which is in Capernaum. Multitudes come. And now the disciples, are you listening to me? The disciples are watching him as he ministers to two groups of people. It mentions one that are sick and two that are demonized. And he cast the devil out with his word. He says, come out in Jesus' name. He won't say in Jesus' name. We say that. But he would have said, come out or go or whatever word. But he commanded the demons to leave because it says he cast out the spirits with his word. And he healed all that were sick. Now, let me ask you a question. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, do you know what the word disciple means? Because by the way, you're all disciples, so you should kind of know what it means. Do you know what disciple means? These are called disciples, followers of Jesus, later called Christians, little Christs. You today, whether you realize it or not, as calling yourself a Christian, what you are is a disciple. Do you realize that? Do you know what a disciple does? Because I don't think a lot of Chris, I don't think a lot of church members really realize that they're a disciple. A disciple does not just watch. A disciple learns. A disciple would follow their master to observe and to learn. A lot of Christians just are converts from the perspective of they just want to watch other people live their Christian walk, but they don't really want to do it themselves. They'd rather just stay in the shallow end or stay real carnal. But a true disciple doesn't just watch Jesus. A true disciple learns from Jesus. What was Jesus doing with these disciples, these learners? He was teaching them through experiences. He was showing them through real life. This problem comes, watch how I handle it. This problem comes, are you, are you paying attention? 
Are you paying attention, Peter? Stop picking your nose and put your hand down. I want you to watch what I'm dealing. Thomas, stop it. Watch what I'm doing. You're going to need it one day. <laughs> then he gets to another situation. Watch what I'm doing. Peter, your mother-in-law's sick. Watch me. Learn. Come out in Jesus' name. Yeah. Yeah, Boys, we're having a healing meeting. Crowd control, get them lined up, please. I don't know if they'd catch us or not. I don't think they did, but who knows? And people are manifesting. When demons are there, they manifest. People are screaming, they're foaming at the mouth, they're probably cussing and saying all variety of awful words because that's what demons do. They are vile, they're vile entities and they turn human beings vile. And so there was probably a lot of hubbub and hubbubaloo going on in that service outside Peter's house. And they're watching Jesus and they're supposed to be learning from him as a disciple of how he handles things. And now he's showing them, watch, come out, watch, be healed, watch, palsy, leave him. And everything he said happened. Now he's just healed a leper with his words. Then he's just healed a centurion servant with his words and just told the guy, you've got the vastest faith of all of them because you understand the power of words. Pay attention, Andrew, pay attention. You're a disciple, pay attention. Then he just heals the, mother, the mother-in-law with his word. Then he just casts out devils with his word. Now they get in the boat and he's having a rest because he's tired and the storm comes. And he's just taught them what to, how to handle situations. But when they have an opportunity personally, see, it didn't matter to them really whether the leper got healed or not because it's not them. And what, I mean, Peter, Peter might have, he might have cared that his mother-in-law got healed, but most son-in-laws wouldn't probably care that much, depending on how nice she is. But maybe that was a little bit personal, but I would very care verily. I would be standing in faith. I'd be fasting and praying for you. <laughs> And if Jesus didn't heal you, we'd all, we'd always see you one day in heaven where we're going to be together again. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> My point is, it wasn't anything, it, no skin off their back where the leper gets healed. No skin off their back where the centurion servant gets healed. No skin off their back where the Peter's mother-in-law gets healed. And there's no skin off their back where that multitude got healed. Do you understand? There's nothing personally invested in them. So what are they doing? They're like most Christians. They're there and they're looking, but they're not learning. They're watching, but they're not learning. Now, all of a sudden, a situation shows up that is a personal investment to them. Now their life is on the line. Now as hardened fishermen, they're scaredy cats. Now they think they're going to die. They didn't care the previous four times because it didn't affect them, but they should have been learning. Now they have an opportunity where it's directly affecting them and what they should have learned, they should have put into action, but they didn't because they weren't learners. Are you hearing what the Holy Ghost is saying to you tonight? That's why he got hard on them. He said to me, you want to know why I was so hard on them in the boat? I said, yes, sir. He said, because I just taught them numerous times before how to handle situations. And when it came up to affect them personally, they couldn't even do it. That's why I said to them, why don't you have any faith? Why are you so afraid? In other words, I've taught you what to do. But you weren't watching, but you weren't learning. So let me show you again. And he says, he rebuke, I command you, stop. And everything obeys him. 
Are you with me? So he does that now with, he's done it with the leper. He's done it with the centurion. He's taught them with the mother-in-law. He's taught them with the multitude. Now he's taught them with the boat. And now the creme de la creme. Again, this is not a personal investment for them. No skin off their back whether the gatherings delivered or not. But again, he teaches them. This serious case, far more serious than the night before when they had the service. This is now a guy that's in fetters and chains and legion and, I mean, thousands of demons and everyone's afraid. I mean, this is a serious case. And he teaches them again. Guys, whether it's a little demon last night or whether it's a big old demon this morning, it's the same thing. I commend you. Come out. Go into those pigs. He taught them. If they were learners, he taught them. This is how you handle situations. It doesn't matter what the situation is, your words and your authority will deal with it. Are you with me? Are you still with me? Now, now, now just keep going with me. Just, just hold on a second. I think I've said my notes, but I just want to make sure. Yes. Okay. Now, Matthew chapter 9. I'm not going to read it for sake of time. But there are six new examples that Jesus is showing them live and in person Again, different examples, different scenarios, different requirements, different problems, but every one of them with words. He's trying to teach them something if they would learn. I'm, lead, I'm going somewhere with this, so hold with me. So the first one, it says, actually, I love the Bible so much. I'm just, I wasn't going to, but I'm just going to read it because I just love it so much. And he entered into a ship, chapter 9, verse 1, and passed over and came into his own city. That's the city of Capernaum. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy. Now, this is a miniaturized version of the story of the man that broke up the roof. But Matthew's not giving as many details as Mark does. Mark talks less examples, but he gives much richer detail. Matthew is, see, God has all different kinds of personalities. I, I am a Matthew and a Mark. My book would have been 49 chapters long if I had written a gospel. Because I would have said every story and given every detail of every story. But all Mark does is give every detail but a few stories. Matthew gives a lot more, but hardly any details. I don't think Matthew and Mark liked each other. I think they were totally opposite personalities. Maybe they loved each other. I'm sure they did. Anyway, my point is, is that Matthew Cones continues now. And he says, uh, and behold, they brought unto him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes that said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For what, whether it is easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee or say arise and walk. See, it's the same story as a man that broke up the roof. But that you may know the Son of Man is power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the sick of the palsy, arise, take up thy bed and go into thy house. So Jesus shows them a, a situation, another live example. Here's the situation. He's now showing them that forgiveness can be given by words. Then he's showing them that when Pharisees and religious people attack you, you can correct them, not by punching them in the mouth, but with your words. Because yeah. remember, Peter, even at the end of all this, wasn't much of a learner, because in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's chopping ears off. Yeah. <laughs> Do you understand? He's not coming at them physically, he's coming at them with his authority of his words. And then he speaks now healing in addition to forgiveness. Which is the same thing. Right? So you see here another example of words. 
Now keep going. And he rose and departed to his own house. Then the multitude saw it and they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at their seat of custom. And he saith unto him, other translation says, he calls unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. That's interesting. Here's a totally different scenario. Jesus wants somebody to do something. So what does he do? He uses his words. Come on. And the man comes. You think he's teaching his disciples something? I think he is. And he's doing it for a reason and it's coming. Now look at the next one. And he passes forth from thence and he saw a man named, okay, I already read it, number 10. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, he didn't attack them, he didn't arrest them, he didn't push them, he didn't shove them. What did he do? He answered the problem with his words and with authority. They that behold me, not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here's another example. There's a problem. People are, are attacking him, are, are accusing him, are judging him. And Jesus responded with his words and he said it with authority. And it fixed the problem. Do you see that? That was number three. What about the next situation? Number four. This is now another group of people, John's disciples, kind of correcting and harassing and attacking him. And they came into the disciples of John saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but you and your disciples don't fast at all? See, they're correcting him. They're, they're going at him. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then they shall fast. No man putteth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, for that which is put, put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine in old bottles, else the bottles break and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But, the new wine, but put, they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved." So he's, again, there's another problem. This is not a demon. This is not a healing. This is not a storm. Do you understand? These are people that are attacking him because in life, that's going to happen. He's trying to show the disciples, boys, you're not just going to face sickness. You're not just going to face storms. You're not just going to face demons. You're going to face people. But I'm training you how to handle these situations. Everything is with authority and with words. With authority and with words. With authority and with words. Are you paying attention? Philip, are you paying attention, Matthew? Are you paying attention, boys? Don't just watch me learn, because you just failed the test in the boat. Okay? Now, verse 18, when he spoke these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, my daughter is even now dead. Again, I prefer Mark's version of this, but we'll keep going. But come and lay thine hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus rose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman, which was diseased with an issue of blood, twelve years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may touch his garment, I shall be made whole. But Jesus turned about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. Now, this is still Jesus ministering. The lady, because of her great faith and the act of faith to reach out and touch, got healed. But Jesus took it up a notch. She's already healed. The power went into her when she touched him, the Bible says in Mark 5. But now Jesus doesn't end there. Now he says to her, see, still words. He says to her, you are now made whole. The word whole is a completely different Greek word to the word healed. Healed means the disease stopped. 
The flow of blood stopped at that instant. Whole means the power of God moved in her direction to restore to her everything that was lost because of that sickness. Everything financial, because for 12 years she had lost all her money. Everything emotional. All this physical strength that had been drained from her, her iron count, her blood count, all of that would have been restored. See, healing just ended the problem. Wholeness restored everything back. So the, her touch of faith got healing, but his words brought wholeness. So he's still speaking and he's still showing, even though see, now he's not dealing with healing, now he's showing the example to the disciples. It's not just healing, boys. It's also wholeness that can come with your words. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Actually, uh, yeah. So, uh, he rebuked the, what's number one? The man born of four. Yeah. He speaks. What's number two? Matthew, he speaks. Follow me. What's number three? The Pharisees are attacking him. He speaks. What's number four? John's disciples are attacking him. He speaks. What's number five? The woman with the issue of blood got healed on her own words in faith, but got whole on his words. He still spoke. Do you see that? And lastly, number six. Verse 23, and when Jesus came into the ruler's house, he saw the minstrels and the people making a noise. And he said unto them, give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn. And when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand and the maid arose. Interpret scripture with scripture. Just like it doesn't say he said anything with Peter's mother-in-law, but Mark said he did. Mark see, Matthew seems to like the touching of the hand deal. Because both times he only says he touched the hand. But in Mark, both times he didn't say anything about touching the hand. He said he spoke. So interpret scripture with scripture. Say he took the mother-in-law by the hand and rebuked it. This time he took the maid by the hand. And in Mark's gospel, he says, Tabalith, I don't know how you, know, you read it. He says in Hebrew, daughter, I say unto thee, arise. He spoke and raised her from the dead by saying, get up, arise. He didn't just touch her, he spoke. Do you understand? So again, interpreting scripture with scripture, he's showing them, boys, even when it comes to the dead, the dead, words will change it. Amen. Words with authority will change it. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. And the maid arose. And his fame thereof went ab abroad into all that land. And it goes on and goes on. I'm not going to read the rest of it. There's, there's blind men, there's dumb men. Uh, there's more Pharisees are hating him, uh, saying that he's casting demons out by the prince of the demons. And it goes on. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But those six main stories there, there's others. But those six main stories and the six from the previous chapter is what the Lord highlighted to me. And I'll repeat them one more time to you. There are lessons Jesus is teaching these disciples. And look at the variety of what, how he's teaching them. He says, there's a leper, use your words. There's a sinner's servant, use your words. There's a mother-in-law with a fever, use your words. There's multitudes of people that are sick and multitudes of devils, use your words. There's a storm. Now, boys, you need to do this. They didn't, but he used his words for them. Now, then there's a man possessed of a legion, use your words. Now, there's a man born of four with palsy. Use your words. Now, he wants Matthew to follow. He speaks to him with authority. you got to speak with authority for somebody to leave their entire career and everything. It's not just a light little, hey, if you're in the mood, come with me. There was a, he spoke under an anointing and with authority, follow me. And it changed a man's entire destiny. It was his words. 
There's attacks from the Pharisees. He doesn't deal with it with brawn. He deals with it with words and authority. There's attack from John's disciple. He deals with it with words and authority. There's a woman that has got healed on her own, but he still brings wholeness with his words. And then there's a dead person, the creme de la creme, and he raises her up with his words. Jesus is trying to teach the disciples of a whole lot of life lessons in chapter 8 and 9 that, boys, I want you to be learners. Watch and learn. Every kind of situation I face, do you see a trend? Do you see a common, a lowest common denominator? How am I handling situations, boys? I'm not handling it mentally. I'm not handling it with board meetings. I'm not handling it with brawn. I'm not handling it by paying off. You're trying to use money to fix everything. I'm handling situations with my words. Yes. And you can, I'm just giving you 12 examples because that's all the Lord hollered to me. But if you just think about the other miracles Jesus did, what about when he had to pay his taxes? He didn't go get a second job like some of you do. What did he do? He spoke with his words and authority. He said, go. And the first fish you take, open its mouth, and the money will be there for me and for you. Even when it came to financial supply, he spoke words. When it came to the fig tree, he spoke words. He was constantly teaching the disciples and us, because we are his disciples, that when you encounter a variety of issues and situations in life, they can all be resolved with your words if you understand who you are in Christ. It's not blind mantra confessions that don't work. It's not, a, it's, it's words impregnated with the authority of God where you believe that what you say will come to pass and you will have whatever you say. This is the message of Jesus. I don't like it when people call it just a faith message because then it seems to isolate other denominations. This is the Jesus message. It's the Jesus message. It's not a word of faith message. This is an interdenominational message. That's why God called Dad Hagen, who was the forerunner of the return of Jesus for the whole body of Christ and all the hundreds of denominations within that body. And his mandate was, teach my people faith. Because faith is not a denomination, it's the message of Jesus. It's the message of the gospel. It's the message that gets you into the kingdom and it's the message that gets you victory all the way through the kingdom. It's a message that heals lepers. It's a message that raises the dead. It's a message that brings money in fish's mouths. It's a message that stops, that stops cancer. It's the message that gets people to follow. It's a message that pushes back Pharisees. It's a message that makes winds obey you. Amen. It's a message that heals demonized men and they're totally free. This message is not a word of faith denomination. It's Jesus. That's why he said, when I come to the earth, am I going to find faith? That's why he said in Hebrews 11, if you don't even understand faith, you can't please me at all. Nothing that you do really matters because it's the currency of heaven. Everything you get from God is faith. I'm not trying to harp because we're trying to be a word of faith church. We're a Jesus church. But the message of Jesus was this. He was training his disciples to watch and learn how you deal with life. I'm asking you, some of you, 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 you come, but you're acting like the disciples. You watch, but you don't learn. You hear what I preach, but you don't do it. And that's why life more or less stays the same. Because you're relying on your own abilities and your own giftings and your own money and your own, 
You're in your, ma- your mind so much. God gave you a mind. Use your godly mind. Amen. But don't make everything about trying to figure everything out. Life should not just be about figuring everything out. Life should be about learning the way of Jesus, which was, I will speak, believe what I say will happen, and it will surely happen for me. You say, how, how do I believe? Well, if you're in the Word more, and if you're studying more, and if you're praying in the Holy Ghost more, faith will rise up in your heart by the Word, be strengthened by praying in tongues, and then you'll actually start to believe that what you say will actually happen. It's astonishing. Kenneth Copeland had a, had a tree that was dying in his garden. And, and he, I, I don't want to misquote the story, so I won't say all the, I, th- I think I understand all the steps, but I'll just narrow it because I know this for sure. And he, and he, he was going to try to do all this stuff, fix it. And the Lord said to him uh, something along the lines of, your, your, your words will take care of that, son. So he started speaking to that tree who was, the tree was like almost dead. And he just started speaking to it. Remember, Jenny? He just started speaking to it. I speak life over you. I say that you're the most beautiful tree in my garden. The life of God is in your roots. And you know that tree came back to life and it grew larger than any of the other plants and it was the most flourishing item that he had and it was, on, it was almost dead because he did it with his words. You know his hair started to turn gray? He doesn't. I don't care what you read on the stupid internet and you shouldn't listen to stuff on the internet against ministers. It'll hurt your faith. But I know because Jerry knows him they're clo- the, closest to, the closest person that Kenneth Copeland knows is Jerry. They're the, they've been traveling for over 45 years together. And they still travel today. So nobody knows him better than Jerry. And I've got Jerry's ears. So when Jerry talks to me, it's like I'm hearing stuff that nobody else maybe even really would fully know. Because Jerry knows him better than anybody. And Jerry told me, he said, I don't care what they say on the internet. Brother Copeland does not color his hair. He said, you see that beautiful hair of his, dark brown hair? He says, he said to me, he said, you know why? He said, he stands in the mirror every morning and he says, hair, I command you, grow dark brown. And the hair obeys him. Well, I, well, I, well, I, well, I, well, I don't know how I feel about that. Well, that's why you're bald. That's why, that's why you're this. That's why you're that. That's why you, because, you know, it's okay. You have a right to believe whatever you want. I'm just telling you this works. It works. Your words can turn situations around. Your words can change things. Your words can cause, he said, if you just have faith of a mustard seed, you can say, you can say. He didn't, didn't say get your, your trowel and your, your shovel. He said, you can say to the sycamine tree, be uprooted and be planted over yonder and it will obey you if you believe. If you believe. This is, this is the measure of faith. Now, let me finish off. Because all of these lessons the Lord said to me, you want to know why I was so hard on them? I said, yeah. He said, because I've been teaching them and they won't learn. And when it didn't matter to them, they're just watching. They're not learning. All of a sudden it matters to them because their life's on the line. And they don't do it because they didn't, they, didn't they didn't pay attention. Now I'm teaching them the next chapter. All these times I'm teaching them in different scenarios, the power of your words. Your words can turn things. And then the Lord said this to me. He said, and you want to know what all that was for? Obviously it's for their life. That, that goes without saying. It's for their daily life themselves, obviously. And to get them out of tight spots, like the storm. But the Lord said, I was leading. I've never seen this, Jenny. He had to show me this supernaturally by revelation. I mean, it seems so obvious now. Anybody could probably see it, but I've never seen it before. He said, I was trying to teach them something in 12 examples. Only one of them they had a personal interest in because it affected them. 
He said, but I was teaching them in all those examples how to use their authority with words because, are you listening? Because something was coming that was far more important than their little life. If they couldn't even get it in the boat for themselves, they'll never get it for somebody else. I'm trying to teach them something because something's coming that is far bigger than them and their little problems and their little life. I'm trying to teach them something so that they can expand the kingdom. Are you seeing it? Have a look at chapter 10, verse 1. All of this has happened in 8 and 9, right? Now what happens in chapter 10? And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, his learners. There's, there, there, their thing is only one. There is zero out of 12 right now. He came, he gave them power. That's the Greek word exousa or authority. Against unclean spirits, that's demons. To cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Why did he teach them these lessons? Show them himself. How do you do it? How you do it? Because he was saying, boys, come over here. Let me lay my hands on you and impart power to you. I give you power over authority, over demons. You're going to cast them out with your word like you saw me do it. You're going to heal people with your word and lay hands on them like you saw me do it. All the lessons was not just for you to see and have a big head. The lessons were to train you of how you live your life, but more than that, how you help others. It's bigger than your life. You didn't even pass the test with your life. That was the boat. But I'm trying to train you when you get into problem, when you get into situations, when you can't pay taxes, if somebody dies around you, this is how you deal with it. Somebody attacks you, this is how you deal with it. If you fail face devils, this is how you deal with it. But look, that's just you. But there's something greater than you. It's called the kingdom of God. And I want to expand the kingdom of God. And I want to grow the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God can't grow without disciples taking this revelation and going out into the streets and doing it. If you can't get it for you, you'll never get it for somebody else. I'm trying to get you disciples to figure this out with me because what you don't know is you're about to walk out. I'm about, you're about to leave me for a few days. I'm going to send you on a field trip. And I'm not going to be there to hold your hand. You're going to go out and you're going to do some stuff that you saw me do. Hope you were paying attention because when that devil tries to jump on you, I hope you remember how to deal with him. Are you listening? I'm not making this up. This is, this is Bible. If you look at eight and nine, really the whole book, but if you look at eight and nine, he's training them for what? For ministry. He's training them to save their life in the storm. He's training them how to get their own life taken care of. But bigger than that, he's training them how to expand the kingdom. He's training them how to cast out devils and heal the sick. He's training them, Jenny, how to preach. And this is why it's so important to God that you understand the power of your words. Let me tell you something. The Lord said this to me. He's never said it quite this way before. But in praying this out, he said to me, if your congregation does not have a revelation about how to get this to work for them, they're never going to work properly in the, in the ministry and get this to work for others. If you can't even speak with your own life and your own little problems, how are you going to go up to somebody that's, that's schizophrenic and say, in the name of Jesus, come out? You don't even believe it works for you. 
How are you going to believe that it's going to work for them? You see, and this is the problem. Are you with me? This is the problem. That's why the church doesn't grow. Because everybody's in here watching. Everybody's in here listening. But nobody's in here learning. And actually doing what the Bible says. Because you've got to do it because something bigger is coming. Jesus expects all of you, like those 12, to get out there and to do some stuff that he's asked you to do. And if it doesn't, if you can't even get your own finances working, if you can't even deal with your own headache, how are you going to believe that your words can help somebody that is dying of cancer if you can't even get your words to take care of your headache? If you can't figure out the storm, you'll never be sent out in Matthew 10. Are you with me? He's trying to teach them the power of authority and words. Why? Because when they go out, they better understand this because they're going to be using it every day. Then tells the names of the apostles. Now watch verse 5. Then the 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them saying, 10.5, go not into the way of the Gentiles and any city of the Samaritans. Enter you not, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, oh my God. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. It didn't say as you stay. It didn't say as you pray. It says as you go. Maybe pray as you go. But as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's two definitions for this phrase in the Greek. It means the royalty of Christianity is here. Jesus walks with me and he has come to heal you. It also means the rule or the authority or the realm of the gospel has come. When you go and preach, what you're saying is, hey, the rule of the gospel has come to you. Let it rule you. Jesus, the royalty of the gospel is here. Let him heal you through me. That's a, that's a power. He is, this is the, this is the great commission to the, to, to the 12. We got another great commission at the end of Matthew, to the end of Mark, to the rest of us. But this is still the great commission to all of us, even though he said it to the 12. He's, he did all those lessons, Jenny, to teach them the power of words. Because he knew that when you go out and you minister to people, if you don't believe in the power of your words and authority, you're not going to be able to minister right. Because you're going to face sickness and you're going to have to say, in Jesus' name, be healed. And you better believe that your words are going to work or they're not going to work. And when you face demons, you're going to have to say, I command you, come out in Jesus' name. And you better believe that what you say will come to pass or it won't work. So everything hinging on the expansion of the kingdom, the ministry was hinging on the revelation that they had about words. Not only a matter of protecting themselves if they get into another storm or they need money. or That's just, that's small potatoes taking care of your own Mickey Mouse needs. He's trying to train them because you're about to go out into the lion's den and there's a big devil out there and there's a lot of needs and there's a lot of darkness and there's a lot of evil. But if you will believe what you say in my name, it will happen. I hope you were paying attention because I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. Amen. But you have power. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Are you listening? Preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. He just taught them how to do it in Matthew 8. Cast out devils. He just taught them how to do that in Matthew 8 and 9. Raise the dead. He just taught them how to do that too. All of it with words. Freely you have received. Freely give. And he goes on and he goes on and he goes on about what to do, where to go, shake the dust off if they don't receive you, won't read all that. The point that, I'm tr- the point that God was trying to get over to me was, son, I was hard on them in the boat because they weren't learners. 
I was showing them how to handle situations, but they weren't really w listening and learning. They were just watching. They weren't, it wasn't going in. It was just going in one ear and out the other. That's why when the situation came, they couldn't handle it. And I'm, then I kept teaching them other examples. Why? I'm trying to get them to learn this, but not only for the next time they're in the boat, not only for their personal needs, but I'm trying to get them to learn it because they don't realize that they're about to go. I'm about to commission them. They're about to leave the comfort of my presence and they're about to go out into a world of darkness. They're about to go out where there's people that hate you and are going to persecute you and big demons. And they're about to, and if they don't believe what, if they don't do exactly what I've taught them, if they don't believe that when they say come out, it will come out. If they don't believe when they say be healed, the person will be healed. If they don't believe that, they're not going to be effective in ministry. Now, are you ready for the clincher of the entire message? The Lord said, if your congregation doesn't believe it, it won't, your ministry won't. Won't, it won't do what it's supposed to do. So my question to you is, are you disciples of learners or are you just listeners? I'm going to be serious. Deanne, you, you, you listen, when I'm playing games here, are you a disciple to learn or are you just here to watch and, and just watch the dog and pony show? Because your job is to learn. Your job is to do this at home. Your job is to deal with your storm. So you don't have to call me. Your job is to start to speak. Because God wants to send you out. He wants to expand promise of life. He wants to expand the kingdom of God. He wants the gospel light to shine in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your community. Communities that I won't go to because you're already there. He wants it to shine. But if you don't have revelation of the authority and power of your words in your life, when you face somebody that is in great need, you will not believe in the authority of your words for their life. And you must believe. Because if we don't change lives with our words, uh, this, uh, I'm not saying that we're going to have the surge. We're going to have it. I don't know how God's going to do it. God may do it supernaturally by having angels appear to people. Or God may do it. Just see the congregation getting on fire and having revival. I don't know. But I don't think we should take the risk of just sitting back and doing nothing. And acting lazy. And acting like, well, I don't know, God, I don't know. I guess you, maybe we should have the attitude of, Lord, here am I, send me. You want somebody to go, I'll go. You want somebody to talk to that person, just turn me loose. See, that's the attitude God wants from you is the attitude of turn me loose like I'm a racehorse. I'm trying to get out of that gate, not, oh my God, please don't ask me to go over there and talk to that person. Oh dear Jesus, please don't ask me to, oh my God, oh my God, please. That's not the attitude Jesus wants. He wants that I'm revving to go. I believe. I believe when I speak, things will obey me. I believe when I lay hands, people will be healed. I believe when I cast out devils, they'll come out. I've got something to say. I've got something to expand the kingdom of God with. I've got the revelation of words and authority. Turn me loose, Jesus. Let me go. See, those kind of people turn things. The rest of the people that just sit and watch, they don't really learn. They just, they just come and they, and week after week, year after year, decade after decade, they're the same. I still love you. Jesus still loves you. But you're going to get to heaven one day and he's going to say, if you were in a church that taught you, why didn't you listen? Why didn't you learn something? Why didn't you actually apply it? Are you with me? 
I'm not, I know I may sound aggressive. I'm not trying to be hurtful or aggressive. I'm not angry at anybody, but I, I, I felt the Holy Ghost say these, this, this to me. If, you're, if your congregation doesn't learn something, doesn't start getting this revelation working for their life, they're never going to minister to other people successfully. And it takes ministry outside the four walls of this church to make this church dynamic. We can't just have us four and no more forever. I know we're in COVID, but don't make that an excuse. There's still people that can come during COVID. We've told you that you can invite people if you want. Do you understand? So last week, I understand now today more than I did last week. But last week, he said to me, talk, talk to them about their calling. And I did. And then he said, now emphasize three areas primarily which I didn't even announce last week, but I'm saying it now, but I had it in my notes. He said, tell them especially to emphasize calling for their health, calling for their finances, and calling for evangelism. And that really surprised me because God doesn't always talk to me that much about evangelism, or at least he hasn't in the past. And I said, evangelism? That's, that, that was unexpected. Lord, I didn't expect you to say that. Well, we know the Bible says, I wish above all things that you'd prosper and be in health. So it would make sense, according to 3 John 2, that if you're going to put an emphasis on calling, in addition to all the other stuff, make sure you emphasize your health and your finances, because that's the area the devil will attack the most. But he brought this third word up to me, which really took me by surprise, and he said evangelism. And I said, evangelism? And he said, yes, son, you need to tell them to start calling for evangelism. And I said, Lord, you're, we're in the season of you talking about the church growing. And you've been talking to us about the price, giving ourselves continually to prayer and all these things. Uh, I guess I was surprised, but I wasn't that surprised that he now starts to talk in the, same, in the same time frame about another angle, another aspect of the diamond. There's, there's one thing about the price that we have to pay in prayer. But then there's another angle to that diamond because God's multifaceted. It's not just all about prayer. Part of it is also about evangelism. And I said to the Lord last week, I said, I thought I would get it out last week, but then he restrained me, Jenny. I'm learning how to be led by the Spirit even in my preaching. Because I had this next statement I'm about to say. I had it in my notes. The only line under the word evangelism, I just had this one statement because he said that to me last week. But when I got up toward the end of the message last week, I felt a restraint. Don't say anything. So I listened to that. But then today, he said, the reason I didn't want you to say anything because I wanted to teach you this from Matthew 8, 9, and 10. Because everything I taught them was for evangelism. Everything I was training them for was to expand the kingdom. It was not just for their Mickey Mouse needs. It was to get people saved. But you can't go and deal with people if you don't understand your authority because the devil will eat you alive. So he said, now, and I said, oh, I see it now, Lord. I see that's why you restrained me last week because you want an emphasis of calling, not just on finances and and, and health because that's always what you want, but you want an emphasis on this calling about evangelism because this is one of the ways you're going to expand the kingdom of God and specifically Promise of Life Church. And so that's why you had, that's why you want me to say, that's why you gave me Matthew 8, 9, and 10 because you were training them for evangelism. See, teaching you faith is actually training to get people saved and healed. It's not just teaching you to get money. I think people have mis- mis- they've not seen this in the right way, Taylor. People look at the faith message as, teach me faith so I can get. Teach me faith so I can get. Teach me faith so I can speak and I can get a new car. And I can get a new house. And I can get this. And I can get that. That's what most people think the faith message is all about, is I can get. And that's why a lot of other denominations hate us. Because they say you're so selfish. All you think about is yourself. All you think about is money. But the faith message is far more than just getting It's far more than houses and cars and jewelry. It's far more than just not dying in a storm. The message of faith is all about 
preaching the gospel to sinners. Because when you preach to them, you must heal them. You must cast out devils. You must be ready to raise the dead. And if you don't believe in your words and faith, those things will not happen. So the message of faith is not just incoming. The message of faith is outgoing. That's the truth about it. And this is a statement he said as I close. He said these words to me. Are you ready? Tell the people. I'm telling you. I'm not making this up. When I say God said something to me, you can take it to the bank. I'm telling you, I know his voice. He's been talking a lot lately. More than he has in years past. There's been many, many months that he has in the past, Lorraine, he wouldn't say anything to me other than little things I love you and encouraging personally, the things about my boys. I mean, he's always talking to me, brother. But I would go many months sometimes just preaching because I know it's the right thing, but he hasn't actually said anything. But this season is different. He is saying so much. I think it's because he's, he's, it's so important to him that we don't get off in Hebron. There's so much writing on this. This revival hangs in the balance. I'm telling you, it's the truth. You think this revival is going to come with people that don't understand their authority? You can't cast out devils if you don't understand your authority. You can't heal the sick. And the whole thing about preaching the gospel is not just giving somebody a track. That's the cheap way out. The whole thing about the gospel is getting people healed, casting demons out of them, helping them in whatever capacity they need because of the power of faith and authority. This little pathetic, let me hand you a track. That's for babies. You've got to get right past your track stage. This is not about tracks. This is about communicating the royalty of Christianity is here. The rule of the gospel has come. Let me help you. Is there somebody sick? I will speak and it will be according to my word. And they'll look at you like you're crazy, but you're from another planet. You're another species of being. They've never heard somebody have such courage. And then they'll accuse you you're narcissistic. You're narrow-minded. You're a bigot. But they don't understand that's the way Jesus taught us. Do you understand? So the whole thing of Matthew 8, 9 was to teach them for 10. The whole point of all of this was to get them so that they were ready for kingdom expansion. Why we teach you faith is not just so you can pay your mortgage. It's not just to get a new job when you lose it. We teach you faith so that you can expand the kingdom. So that you can find somebody. And when God comes on you, you have such boldness. And you know, you know, there's no question, you know, when I lay hands, the power of God will heal them. Sir, if you will give me permission, I'm begging you, give me permission. You don't know me, I don't know you, but let me tell you, God put me in your way. God put me in your path. I am here to bring the gospel to you. Let me lay my hands upon you. If they don't want you to lay your hands, in the COVID sometimes it's even more now. Everybody's afraid of everything. Just speak. He cast it out with his word. He healed with his word. He sent his word, Psalm 103, and he healed them. All you have to do is say, I commend that sickness to go. And because you believe that what you say will come to pass, the anointing of God will come on that person and kill that disease and command and that spirit will be ejected from them. But you've got to believe it. It's not just to get a new jewelry item. It's to get people in the kingdom. See, I've always wondered, Sandy, I know all this faith stuff, is, it's usually always taught from a perspective of me, 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 and it's always bothered me. But I have wholeheartedly gone with it because I can see it in the Bible and it's revelation. But I think sometimes the people that teach faith the most don't put the emphasis on them. 
They teach it more on me. But there's, not that many do. The, the great ones have it a good balance. But some of the other ones didn't have a good balance, and that's why people have judged us. The emphasis of faith is as much about the sinner as it is about your bank account. It's about understanding who you are so you can help people. It's about then getting rich so that you can be a blessing to those that don't have anything. But it's more than the financial aspect. It's the power aspect of evangelism. Now, I want to say what he said to me last week, and he restrained me from saying it, but I know now's the time to say it. Let me tell you this. He said, I want you to challenge your congregation to believe me. Now, listen, this is what he said for me to tell you to do. I want you to challenge your congregation to believe me over a 12-month period for every one of them to bring in one person who is planted in promise of life. Planted. Did you hear that? You may bring in 10 people, but only one of them gets planted. It's not just about inviting somebody. It's about getting them planted. People have this erroneous idea about evangelism. Let me just try to get people saved. You are not commissioned to get people saved. You are commissioned to make disciples. Somebody that is just saved is not a disciple. They will backslide within hours. How do you make a disciple? You get the person to be planted in a local church where they can grow and learn and flourish. Disciples are all about churches. So it's not just getting somebody saved. People say that to me, and I've always been grieved over the years. I got somebody saved. My first question is, where are they? Well, I don't know. Well, did you tell them about our church? Well, no. Well, why not? Well, because my job is just to get them saved. No, no, you missed the boat. Your job is not to get them saved. Your job is to make them a disciple. That's what he said in Matthew 28. Go ye into all the world and make disciples. Of, he didn't say make converts. He said make disciples. How do you make a disciple? You don't just lead them in the sinner's prayer. You say, hey, Bob, now you've prayed that prayer. Now you're my brother. Listen, Bob, there's a whole heap that you've got to learn. It's not enough that you just said a prayer. There's a big devil out there and there's a lot of things that are going to try to pull you off. You've got to let me call you. I've got to call you. I've got to pray with you. I'm going to get you some books for you to read. You've got to understand what forgiveness means, what love means, what prayer means, what tongues means, what authority means. There's so much Bob you need to learn. It's not just a prayer. And listen, I can help you as much as I can, but I'm not anointed as a pastor is. God needs you to come and plant your roots under an office in a church where they can pour into you and feed you and grow you up to be a strong disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you think of evangelism, you should think planting, yeah. not converting. Yeah. Now, he said you challenge the congregation. That's what I'm doing, Jenny. Every person challenge them. That in the span of 12 months, that every one of them will have got one person into this church planted. Not just converted, planted. And I said, well, Lord, are you ready for the kicker? I said, well, Lord... So I can say that, but I think a lot of them won't do it because they're not very good with evangelism and they don't really understand how to witness to people and they're afraid. And if they do do it, people come and leave and it's just frustrating. I said, Lord, what's the secret here? 
You want me to tell them that, I'll tell them that, but what's the secret? Oh, it's so, it's so obvious and it's so simple, but even I didn't get it at first. He said, son, yes, they're going to have to go and talk to people. He said, but the power of making this work is not in just their ability to witness to somebody. The power is in their words. Tell them, start to call. Start to call those things that be not as though they were. You don't start by witnessing, you start by calling. This is the power, this is what makes evangelism easy. Start to call. Father, Nicole, this is your job as much as it is mine. Because you're a learner, you're a disciple. God wants you to make a disciple. Father, I begin to call. Father, I believe you and I ask by faith that you would put somebody in my path that I would be able to minister to the power of God and get them into promise of life and help them to become a disciple that is planted in the courts of my God. Father, I receive that by faith. I thank you for it. And now I begin to call it. I thank you and I call that person, that person that you have assigned for me to plant in this church. I call it as I call that which is not as though it is. Father, I thank you for leading me to that person. I thank you that you're touching that person's heart even today long before I even talk to them. I thank you when I speak, you give me words. I thank you for the anointing that is on my lips when that moment comes for me to talk to them. I thank you that you draw them by the magnet of the Holy Ghost to this church. When they come, they hear pastor's voice and they say, that's the man with the grace for my life. Lord, I call and I believe that I have that one person that comes into this church and is planted as a disciple of the Lord Jesus. I call it in. I call it in. I decree it. I say, you come in Jesus name I say you come that's what he wants you to do see if I said to Nicole you are going oh God's gonna get you now he's not but you know what I'm saying you're gonna get somebody her mindset would be like all of us pastor happy I gotta find somebody I gotta find somebody I gotta find somebody that's not what you're supposed to do when I say that all God is asking you to do at this point is start to call decree it Confess it. I thank you, Father. Before 12 months, I will have somebody planted in this church because of my witness to them, because of my words, because of what you put on my life to influence them. Lord, I call it in. I call those things that be not as though they are. That person is not, but I say in Jesus' name, I have my person planted in promise. Thank God that I've got my person planted, Lord. Now, now, Father, begin to minister to them right now. Wherever they are, you know where they are. Minister to them. Cause their path to cross mine. Cause us to intersect. Father, when I see them, let me know it. Lord, when I speak, let anointing come out. Give me words because I'm not a very good communicator. Maybe I'm not a very good witnesser, but you'll anoint me because I understand the authority that I have. If I have to pray for them because they're sick, I thank you. I say in advance that they'll be instantly healed when I lay my hands on them. Lord, I thank you for the wisdom and the anointing that draws them to promise of life. And that when they hear pastor's voice, that they'll know that he's the one with the grace. See, that's how you do it. That's, see, if you would do that, are you listening to me? If you would do that, Anna, if you would do that, Gary, if you would do that and just start to call and start to pray and put the focus on praying, not going. God told Brother Randy to tell this evangelism school, tell them the reason why they work so hard and have such little fruit is they spend all their time going and they don't spend their time praying. Tell them to pray 90% and go 10% and I'll give them 100% results. 
So most of your time is not going to find somebody to witness to. Most of your time is calling and praying and praying in the Holy Ghost and praying in the Holy Ghost. Lord, I pray for that person. Are you, are you, I don't know if you're, some of you got deadpan faces. You need to respond a little bit so I know you're listening to me because I can't tell the way you're looking at me. If it's like a horror story that you're in a nightmare right now or, or what's going on. But I'm just asking you, I'm not asking you to get out of your comfort zone right at the beginning. I'm asking you to start calling. I'm asking you to, I know Quinn will do it. I know Cole will do it. If kids can do it, all of you can do it. Start to call. It's easy to call. It's not awkward for you to call. You're not going to be afraid. You're not going to be embarrassed. I'm not asking you to go out in the streets tomorrow. What I am asking you to start to call with your mouth, with authority. Father, the person that you have for me, there's somebody, because you told pastor, encourage everybody, challenge everybody. I'm one of the everybody. Lord, there's somebody out there that I am going to witness to, and they're going to become a disciple of Jesus, and they're going to plant themselves in this church. I don't know where they are. I don't know when you're going to lead me to them, but I start calling it in now. I start thanking you for it now. I thank you that the anointing is already working on them now. When I see them, I'll have words. When I see them, power will flow. Father, I prepare myself. And then that's all you do. Even if you witness just to one person, wait, just start to pray and then pray in tongues a lot. Maka, Lord, that person, I don't know where they are. I don't know where they are, but Lord, you know. Now I pray in tongues for them that we would meet and that they would hear. And you're praying out perfect prayer for that person. You see, you pray for your money. Do you ever pray for anybody to get saved? You pray and release your faith for a nice piece of jewelry. What about somebody out there that's got cancer? You see, we have to balance this faith message. It's got to be balanced. God wants you to have the nice house, but he also wants you to cast out some devils. A lot of you are getting skillful with the getting, but you're not very skillful with the giving. And I'm telling you, Jenny, he said it to me as clear as a bell last week. He said, challenge the people. One, I'm challenging all of you. One person this year. One person or one family, but the point is, he didn't say three, four, five. He said one. Yeah. Don't get legalistic. If it's a family, it doesn't, it doesn't disqualify you because it's three. The point is, it's a minimum of one. Yeah. Every person, God is going to, if you will just release your faith and release your words and pray in the Holy Ghost and don't be so focused about trying to speak and trying to find them. Be focused on calling and praying then God supernaturally will bring them. It might take months, but when they come, you'll know it. You say, how long? You believe me, you'll know it. There'll be something like a fire in your stomach. Your heart will start pounding and you'll know. And the Holy Ghost will be like, that's the one, son. That's the one. Now, this is how I want you to handle it. Talk to him this way. Go that way. And he'll give you the strategy. And you just go and speak. Release your faith. Understand your words of authority and invite them. And if that person, by their willful decision, stubbornly rejects either the born-again experience or the planting experience, then say, Father, I did my job, but I still don't have somebody planted, so I release my faith now for another one. And you do the same thing until another one comes. But I'm just, 12 months is a long time if you start doing this tomorrow. God may have you talk to 20 people. He might have you invite 20 people before one hits. Or he might only lead you to one person and that one person hits. Don't you be the boss and decide how God's going to do it. Your job, it's so easy. Evangelism is so easy if you just pray. You don't have to be so awkward and embarrassed and fearful. 
Just, if you pray and you'll start saying, I'll have the words when I need it. The anointing will be on me. If you just do that, you'll be so filled that when that moment actually comes, you'll be like that racehorse. Let me add him. Let me add him. But right now you'd be like, oh my God, I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. But because you're not built up. But if you pray it out and pray it out and confess it and call those things that be not and thank God for the anointing and thank God for the words and thank the Holy Ghost and you do that, you'll be so charged that by the time that actually comes, you'll be like, this is, this is it. This is what I've been praying for. This is, this is, this is, this is it. Lord. Let me add him. Let me add him. Hold it, boy. Now hold it, boy. So I'm telling you, you right now, you think I'll never be that way. Oh, you'd be amazed at what the anointing when it comes on you will turn you into. Turn Saul into another man, the Bible says. Your little shy personality can become a raging lion under the anointing. Your introvert, your tongue-tiedness can become totally different under the anointing. Your job is to get the anointing. It's not to try to evangelize. It's to get the anointing and it's to pray out and call. Let God bring the person and then just slam him with the Holy Ghost. Just give him a tidal wave. Wash him away. And if they don't want it, he'll put another one. Wash them away until finally somebody plants themselves. What we're looking for, Jenny, is not converts. We're looking for planted disciples. I'm not saying if you get somebody saved, it's for nothing because they don't come. Because at least they're saved. Maybe they'll get planted somewhere else. So there's, it's not lost, but we want them to get planted here so that this vision grows and that this church makes disciples. We're making a lot of good faith people come. We're making a lot of people that know how to believe God for new cars. But we're not making a lot of people that know how to expand the kingdom. And God's got on me in this strong. He said, son, I'm so proud of you. Everything that we're doing is great. All the teaching is great. But it's not just for me. I'm wearing my new Louis Vuitton shoes. And I had to use my faith for these. But I saw Brother Jerry, and I like Brother Jerry, and Brother Jerry has Louis Vuitton shoes. So I said, Brother Jerry, I want some. And he said, my feet are too small for you. You have to use your faith. And I said, I will use my faith. And I did, and I got him. And I'm so happy because I'm learning how faith acquires things that are the desire of my heart. Do you understand? A Louis Vuitton is unnecessary. It's a luxury item. But faith will bring you the desire of your heart. We're getting skillful at that. But I just don't want to have a record in heaven that I was skillful getting things that were the desire of my heart. I want to get to heaven and God said... Yeah, you got all that nice stuff. I'm so happy that you enjoyed your life, son. And you saved your kids' lives with faith. So happy that they didn't die because remember the storm? You went through a couple storms and faith and authority got you out. I'm so happy that you're blessed and that you're not broke, that you're strong, and that you're enjoying your life. But you know what? It was more than that, Craig. There was many people out there that were demonized in their mind that needed deliverance. There were many people that were dying of incurable diseases and they needed the word of healing. And you didn't just get Louis Vuitton. You went out there with the same faith that got you the desires of your heart and you took that faith and you cast out devils and you expanded the kingdom and you got them planted in the house of God. I am so proud of you for doing that, my son. Are you listening to me? It's not just about your things. It's about people. 
Don't ignore your things. Believe, but please start to use your faith for people. We must balance this or we will get in a ditch. And that's what a lot of churches have. They've got into a ditch because everything is about me, 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 and money, 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 money. And yes, it is about that, but it's also about people. It's about helping people. And faith is all about helping people. Matthew 8 to 9 was preparing them for Matthew 10. I'm sending you out. Hope you paid attention because devils are on the way. Hope you know how to cast them out, son. Boys, because I taught you how to do it. Praise God. I'm challenging you for one person in the next 12 months. Don't fret about who. Don't try to go in a frenzy of, of, of evangelism. Just start to pray. Yes, start to call. I call that person in. Prepare my heart, Lord. When it comes, I'll have the anointing. Open their hearts. Pray it out in the Spirit. And when that moment comes, you'll be ready. Yes. Evangelism will become the easiest thing you've ever done and the most exciting. When you feel the power of God flowing through you, when you lay hands on somebody, it's intoxicating. When I see somebody look at me and they're healed and they weren't healed before and they look at you, they almost, I've had experiences come where they've almost looked at me like I'm a God. Like, not a God, but like, I'm like some, like, they, you know, especially in foreign countries, they want to worship you. And obviously you don't let them do that because they're so flabbergasted. And how could this be real? How could this work? Because all the priests don't have it. Well, it's intoxicating for God to flow through human flesh and change a life. Yes. It's the most glorious. It's far more exciting than getting shoes or houses or jewelry. I mean, that's exciting. But to see a life changed, to see David going into that Catholic dungeon, see in those third world countries, Catholic churches have the, they run the insane asylums typically, not the government. And so there's a dungeon, and when he walked up there and he saw that man naked, covered all in his hair, everything matted with his own feces, totally crazed out of his mind, just a crazy crazy man. And the nun said to David, if you go in, we have to lock the door because he'll try to kill us. And he said, go ahead, ma'am, lock the door. And he walked up inch by inch because he was growling like a lion in the corner. And, it and the Lord said, go real slow, go real slow, inch by inch. He got right up to him. You know, David, my God, nose to nose. I mean, nose to nose. David, really? Do you have to do nose to nose every time? Nose to nose. I mean, he's staring at him right in his eyes. And those, he said his eyes were moving. Those demons were in his eyes. You could see them. And the Lord said, hug him. He didn't cast it out the typical way. He just put his arms in the feces. And he pulled him tight to him. And he said, as he hugged him, he began to weep with the compassion of God. And he said, as he, he didn't even say, come out. He didn't say, I cast you out. He, he just hugged him and started to cry. And those demons came out of that man in the hug with a loud shriek. He came into his right mind. Why am I naked trying to cover himself? They washed the feces. They clothed him. The nuns let him go. And he today is a pastor over four, about 400 to 500. He's one of his main guys. They have about 2,000 churches. He's over an entire region. He's wealthy. God's blessed his socks off. He's got hundreds of pastors underneath him. He's changing Mexico. But Jenny, he was a lunatic covered in feces until somebody wasn't just looking at what I can get. Somebody went into the dungeon and got those devils out. Yeah. That's our job. 
happy that's our job, brother. We got the best job in the world. We get paid to cast out devils. My God, my God. We get paid to witness to people. We get paid to tell people how much Jesus loves them. You may not get paid for it, but you're a, you're a disciple. You're commissioned to do it. Will you do it? I know I've delivered what the Lord wanted me to say tonight. You're responsible now between you and God. If you're, if you're giving me your nod and your agreement that you're accepting that challenge, that means that God is going to help you. He's not here to hurt you. He's not here to beat you over your head. Jasmine, it's been 12 months. Bang! What did you do, Jasmine? That's not God. That's not God, but he also doesn't want you to forget about it, but he is here to help you. Jasmine, if you just start to call and pray in the Holy Ghost, God will bring that person. We need disciples in this church. We don't just need converts who get saved and then leave, and we never hear hide nor hair of them again. We need disciples. Would you believe me, Taylor? That's you too, brother. In fact, God may want you to get two. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I bless this congregation and for those watching. Lord Jesus, you taught your disciples the power of authority for their life, but more importantly, for Matthew 10 so they could expand the kingdom, so that they could understand the power of their words over sickness and over demons, so that they would go and expand the kingdom and get people as disciples. Father, you desire us to have all the desires of our heart to be met. You want us blessed, abundantly provided for, very rich and a major blessing. That's what you want. But you also want us to understand this faith message of Matthew 8 to 9, the power of our authority through words, because Matthew 10 is coming. You are commissioning us to go and to make disciples, and we've got to win the lost. We've got to. It's, it's incumbent upon us as believers to make disciples. You command us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. You command us in Mark 16 to go into all nations and preach and make disciples. So, Father, we're going to receive that commission. We know that we have to have understanding the authority of our words in order to be successful. But, Lord, all, what they've got to do is they've got to start calling for it. So I thank you that they start tonight. They start tomorrow. Every time the Lord remind, every time you remind them, Holy Spirit, just let them start. Let them not think about the evangelism right now. Let them just focus on the calling. Father, I call that person in. Father, I thank you. I receive by faith in Jesus' name. You said, what's everything I desire? Ask and I believe that I receive it and I shall have it. I believe I receive that one person. Lord, I lay hold and I take it by faith now. I don't know who they are, when I'll talk to them, what the location will be, but you know where they are, Father. I believe I receive that person as planted disciple in the courts of promise of life, church. Lord, I believe I receive them. I call it in. I say it comes. I say they come in Jesus' name. And I pray out the mysteries of it in tongues. And Lord, you'll so fill them with the Holy Ghost you'll fill them with anointing and compassion and power that when that moment of evangelism comes they will be abundantly supplied it will be the easiest thing they've ever done it'll be the most exciting thing they've ever done as they lead somebody to Jesus as they bring them into the courts of God and say come be my brother be my sister plant your roots down in this church and run with the vision with me be a runner in Hebron with me Oh, God, I can see it. I can see it. I can see it. You said to me, challenge them one for one, every one to bring one in a 12-month period. Lord, that's a lengthy period of time for us to use our faith.
So we're going to do it. Now the Holy Ghost, I just heard the Holy Ghost as I'm standing here saying, and son, tell them this, that an angel is assigned to assist them with this task. There are angels particularly assigned for this particular assignment of winning lost souls. So angels that are assigned to them, we release you and say, go now and cause that one that we are to bring to the kingdom, that one that God has assigned before the foundation of the world, that we would minister the power of God to them and preach the word of God to them and impart the life of God to them. Angel, you know who that person is. Go and influence them and cause them to cross our path in Jesus' mighty name. There's angels that are here to assist us in this assignment. Now you start to call. You start to pray out the mysteries in tongues. You start to send your angels every day and put your focus on that. Don't worry about the talking. Don't worry about the evangelism. Don't worry about it being embarrassed. Just do that. You'll get so filled up with God that when the moment does come for you to say, you'll be so ready and so excited that you'll be bursting at the seams. I'm challenging you by the Spirit. This was God telling you through me. I'm just the spokesperson. He is challenging this church. Get skillful with your words. Get skillful with your authority. Not just for your boat. Not just to get you out of a jam. Not just to improve and enrich your life. But because Matthew 10 is on the way. But because the kingdom requires strong men and women who understand the power of faith and authority to cast out devils, heal the sick, and to make disciples. That is, that is, that is the greater vision. Praise God for Louis Vuitton. I'm interested in souls. I'll take all that God has for me, but I want souls. I want salvations. I want dramatic healings. I want people that are out of their minds to be completely made well. I want the power of God to raise dead folk. I want the power of God to heal lepers. I want to see what Jesus saw. I want to see what I saw in India. I want to see what I saw in Africa. I want to see it right here in Canada. I have a right to it. This is my land. I have a right to preach the gospel in my own land. And I say it will surely come to pass. Father, I take your challenge. The people take your challenge. Help us as we navigate through this. And I thank you that your anointing will be with us at that moment that we need it. My God, now I just heard the Holy Ghost say this, and son, as it begins to happen, have the ones that, uh, that accomplish it testify to the rest of the congregation and tell them their testimony and their story of how it came to pass, of how they witnessed, of how it actually happened. It will encourage the faith of the others when they see others like them, bold as lions, and ministering in the power of the Spirit. Praise God. So as you start to do this, as you start to see this happen, as you start to see this work, as you start to see people healed, as you start to see people delivered, as you start to see people saved, come and tell me. Come and testify so that I know that you've done it. So that uh, depending on how the Lord leads, we may even have you share it with the congregation to encourage the faith of the others that maybe are more timid. Praise God, praise God, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. My job is not to interpret Taylor how the surge is going to happen. My job is to follow the Spirit. And the Spirit has emphasized evangelism. So I'm not saying that's how the surge is going to happen because I'm not going to misinterpret it. The surge may come another way. But all I know is that he said a surge is coming 
A dramatic influx of divine joinings is coming and you're going to surge forward. He said it will be months from now. I don't know how long, but he said it's going to be a number of months. But he is now emphasizing, tell the people to start calling, not just for their needs, but for souls. Call for souls. Call for healings. Call for miracles. Call for evangelism. Call for Matthew 10. In Jesus' name. So, Father, we are going to be led by the Spirit, and we're going to take that charge. We're going to take that commission. In Jesus' name. And we're going to, admit, we're going to be good. We're going to make good on it, Father. We're going to please you. We're going to do exactly what you've asked. Glory to God forevermore. Hallelujah. I give you praise, and I give you glory. In the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah.